Hear the word of the Lord from Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it among the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob, Selah. Lift up your hands, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Selah. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning once again. It is an honor, and I'm extremely grateful to have this opportunity to preach God's word today. Um, like Sam said earlier, for those of you that may not know me, um, I normally lead worship here on Sundays. I lead missional communities here at our church, and I often use my hands to build and repair things uh, since the beginning of the church plan about five and a half years ago. I'm also here to keep Pastor Sam on his toes at all times with emergency room trips due to miter saw accidents and uh, other stories that I won't go into for your sake and definitely my own. I love this church though, and I love the people that call it home. I have a beautiful wife, Leah, who is an amazing mother to our beautiful kiddos, Lewin and Juniper, that God has so graciously blessed us with. Pastor Sam and I meet regularly. You cover a Sunday that I'm out of the pulpit. I honestly thought he was joking. <laughs> I didn't see him laugh though or smile, and so quickly I said, yeah, sure, I'll do it. After a few weeks, though, of studying and preparing, I was about ready to just retract my quick yes into, I don't know if I'm qualified for this, um, let me pray about that. And uh, honestly, I prayed that God would give me a sermon like that of Jonah when he went to Nineveh and said, basically, in 40 days, the city of Nineveh will be overthrown. Basically, repent or perish. That's it. By God's grace, the whole city of Nineveh heard the word of the Lord, believed, repented, and were ultimately spared God's judgment. While my hope is the same for us this morning, that we would hear, believe, repent, turn from ourselves, and worship the King, we find ourselves this morning in Psalm 24, where it's going to take a few more words than the famous Jonah one-liner, and a little bit more to unpack this text. In all seriousness, no, uh, seriousness though, Thank you to Pastor Sam for entrusting the pulpit to me this morning, and thank you all for being here to sit under the preaching of God's word as we worship the King together. Let us pray, and then we'll take the dive into Psalm 24 together. God, we do thank you for this morning to gather together. We thank you for your word that you have revealed to us. I thank you that you use imperfect people to preach your perfect gospel this morning. Um, I pray that you give me your words and your words alone. Let your people be enriched by the gospel. And I pray that we will all respond in faith through Christ and his work alone. It is in Jesus' name that we pray and ask these things. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> My mouth's already getting dry. <clears throat> 
Well, for those of you that were here last week, Jesse did an amazing job of walking us through Psalm 23. We were introduced to the Lord as our shepherd, the shepherd who leads us, restores us, protects us, comforts us, shows mercy on us, and promises us a dwelling place with him. In Psalm 24, though, that we just heard read aloud, we are introduced to the Lord who is strong and mighty, mighty in battle, the Lord of hosts and the King of glory, the King who claims ownership of the earth, the world, and those who dwell therein. If I'm honest, I functionally like one better, and I'm guessing a lot of you do as well. I love the God that's comforting me, that's walking with me and leading me, but I often shy away from God when my will is crossed He asks something of me rather than giving me everything that I desire. And after putting up a fight almost every single time, I realize that I'm not and we are not in control. Why is this? Why does my gut reaction to the God who is near me say yes and amen, but the God who is over me say, well, about that, I actually think I've got it from here. The God of Psalm 23 and Psalm 24 are the same God, same Lord, same King, but we often have very different responses to them. I want us together to ask the questions, find our answers through the word this morning. Who is this King of glory and why is he worthy of serving? I wanna show us this morning that the way to a blessed and fruitful life as we have talked about in the past weeks of the Psalms and the life we are truly searching for is found by fully submitting to the lordship of the king in every aspect of our lives for the good of ourselves, the good of our church and our city, all to the glory of God, the king of glory. If you'll turn with me into Psalm 24, if you don't have a Bible this morning, there's some that you can find in the pew back there. We'll start here in verse one. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof the world and those who dwell therein. Hello, let me read that again. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. Right here, the majority of our American Western shaped minds are triggered. Whether we are aware of it or not, two sentences paint a stark contrast to the mass cultural narrative and the way many of us choose to live our lives. We are constantly bombarded by phrases like, the world is yours, take it. You are the captain of your own ship. You can be anything you want to be. You control your own destiny. The sounding familiar, or even to hit the really big one, my body, my choice. We've been indoctrinated and catechized by a secular culture that operates on the wrong assumption that I am my own and my stuff belongs to me. We quickly see here though and realize this does not line up with the opening lines of Psalm 24 at all. I can assure you this isn't metaphorical, it's not poetic, it's not illustrative. King David isn't using broad generalities that might have exceptions. When scripture here says the whole earth, that means the whole earth, hence the fullness thereof. When scripture here says those who dwell therein, it means all seven point almost eight billion people who call earth home. And last time I checked, Elon Musk hasn't got anybody to Mars yet, so we're all still here. Even if he does, and that would be awesome, um, guess what? God owns that too. (laughs) So Paul points to this in Romans 11, 36. It says, for from him and through him and to him are all things. So why is it that all things belong to God? 
As we've seen previously in Psalm 19 and right here in verse 2, it's because God created all things. He has founded the world upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. In Colossians 1, 16, Paul says it like this, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. Not only did he create all things, but he is sustaining all things in real time. Acts 17, 28 tells us it's in him that we live and move and have our being. And included in all things is you. That means you. You belong to God. How do we know that? Because you bear his image. Genesis 1 on the creation account tells us in verse 27, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. I'm getting dry again. Sorry. The first thing the psalmist wants us to reckon with here is that because God is the creator and sustainer of the cosmos, he is the king of the cosmos. This isn't a new development God, from the beginning of creation and even before creation itself, God has been and always will be king, ruling and reigning over everything. So the skies that we gaze at, the earth that we walk on, the cities that we live in, and yes, even the bodies that we live in are living under his domain. This is one of the things that sets God apart from earthly kings and rulers. David, the one even writing this psalm, points to a king who himself starts the psalm off by saying, he holds all the authority and ownership of the kingdom that I'm the king of for right now. Earthly kings had a beginning, either by bloodline or overthrowing a previous regime, and they would come to an end as God ordains their death or overthrow. God, however, has ruled the cosmos since eternity past, is ruling today and for the rest of eternity because his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. To go back to our Western tendencies of desiring self-autonomy, why is it that we don't want to have a king or an authority over us? What makes us reject the king? There are many answers to that question, and Josh covered a couple a few weeks ago in our survey of Psalm 19 that we think we know better than God or because we think we know how to have a better time. But another answer to this question is fear. We're afraid to entrust ourselves, our lives, our hopes, our desires, our aspirations, our money, our family, our career to someone else. What if that person uses me? or decides to govern in a way that doesn't have my best intentions at heart. These fears surface wherever there is some sort of authority or structure. Citizen to president, employee to boss, church member to pastor, kids to parents, we all know that one for sure, those of us that have kids, and wives to husbands. The apostle Peter speaks to this kind of submission-based fear as he addressed wives in 1 Peter 3, 5 through 6. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. 
This passage could have very well opened up several cans of worms, but I want to look at two general principles Peter embeds here in this address. Number one, when we submit ourselves rightly as the word of God directs, it is a good work. One that according to Ephesians 2.10, God has prepared before we were even saved. Number two, this can be a frightening endeavor. Scripture does not pull wool over our eyes and say this is easy. If you know Sarah's story, she got put into some pretty undesirable and hard situations as she submitted to her husband Abraham. The Bible very much acknowledges the difficulty and fear that comes along with entrusting yourself to someone else, even if that means trusting God. One reason we're afraid is because our exceptions or our perceptions of the king have been tainted by earthly kings. As we talk about kings, my mind quickly goes to the ones we read of in stories. The mighty warrior dressed in chain mail, fearless in battle, fighting for the good of the people under his rule. The great kings that come to mind are guys like, guys like Caesar Augustus, Cyrus the Great, or a hero of the faith like King David. Or you might even think of fantasy worlds like Black Panther or Aslan, king of beasts. There have been great and mighty kings in history and tales, but there have also been horrors of kings. Kings that tread on their people and undermine their nation, full of self-indulgence and self-seeking agendas. And even the good kings have bad and shameful moments. No one has been able to perfectly wield all the authority that has been delegated to them. That is except for God. God is unlike all other kings. But what kind of king is God? We saw the shepherd king who was gentle and near to his people in Psalm 23. Psalm 24 shows us another side of God's character that might seem contradictory at first, but it's not. Psalm 24 says he's the king of glory, so he rules with truth and grace. As God proclaims in Jeremiah 9, 24, he says, I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. Or Psalm 89, 14 says, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Steadfast love and faithfulness go before you. God's rule and reign is perfect. He rules for the benefit and the glory of his creation because in it, he is ultimately glorified. That is why God is the king of glory. This is what sets him apart from all earthly rulers. God rules for your ultimate good and your ultimate glory and his ultimate glory. The two are not in rivalry with each other. But with this glory, there is a transcendence and a splendor to it. There is a weightiness and superiority that is usually expressed by the kinds of clothes that kings would wear, the big beautiful mansions that they live in, all the pomp and circumstance. It all points to the reality that there is a clear, very clear distinction between king and subject. A king can walk amongst his subjects at will, but a subject can't just waltz into the king's chambers. To enter the king's glory, there are certain requirements. This is a central factor in the story of Esther, if you guys can remember way back when we covered that. 
It opens up with a 100-day, 80-day fiasco that boasts of the majesty and splendor of King Ahasuerus, who reigned over Persia. He was a very prestigious man who was also very insecure underneath all his kingly wealth investments. Since the king had banished the previous queen for not coming at his beck and call, he was auditioning beautiful young women to fill that vacancy. Esther was one of the young women who replaced the former queen. Unbeknownst to the king, she was a Jew. At the time, the king's top advisor was scheming for a Jewish genocide. Because of this evil plot, the future of her people was riding on her, Queen Esther's shoulders. Her uncle Mordecai urged her to enter into the chambers of the king and make an appeal on behalf of the Jewish people. But the stakes were high because you can't just stroll right in to see the king, not even if you're the queen. You have to be summoned by the king, or if you're brave enough to enter on your own accord, you run the risk of being put to death if the king doesn't want to see you. Thankfully for her sake and ours, when she went into the king, the king welcomed her. But nonetheless, it was an anxiety-inducing event. This gives us a picture of the gravity of what it means to draw near to the king. It's not something that you can just do flippantly. There are certain requirements and credentials you need to have that kind of access. To put this in a picture, a little bit easier picture that might help us understand, I want you to think of the Oval Office. This office is different than any other office in the whole world and any office in the United States. It holds the highest office in our country and is by far one of the most guarded and sacred offices in the world. You can't just walk in there without clear, um, with very high clearance, without background checks and a list of qualifications to get you there. If you tried, I promise it would not go well for you. <laughs> and you would be met with just about everything stopping you from entering. How much more true is this of the king of glory? There are qualifications to enter into God's presence. We see what's required of us to stand rightly before the king and to enter into his kingdom and be blessed by it in verses 3 through 6, starting in verse 3, if you want to turn there with me. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord, and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false, and does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of God of Jacob. <clears throat> so because God is holy, being in the king's presence, his presence is literally to stand in a holy place a place that God dwelled. This Psalm, Psalm 24, it was an entrance liturgy to the temple where the holies of holies was at. There were certain qualifications that had to be met to enter in. So what is required to approach God, the King? Righteousness. One with clean hands and a pure heart is another way of saying one without sin. This exposes a huge problem for us. If this is the case, then no one can ascend the hill of the Lord or draw near to him. Why? Because we all sin, as we confessed earlier this morning. 
Only those with clean hands and a pure heart who do not swear deceitfully or lift up their souls to what is false. God is so pure, so righteous, so holy and other than us. If we casually just walked into the temple back in the day, we wouldn't have been met with guards or the secret service, but rather death. Where God is, there can be no sin, no unrighteousness. Just as light does not exist with darkness, God cannot exist with sin. If we honestly examine ourselves today, we can clearly see that we are not without sin. We often sin regularly, making us unclean. We are bent inward on ourselves and seek to do things our way more times than not. And unfortunately, we're not so different than the bad earthly kings that we talked about earlier. We want all of the glory, but without a king. The answer is you can't have one without the other. We oftentimes worship creator rather than, we worship creation rather than creator. And often walk the path of destruction where we take things that God has given us as good gifts and we turn them into little idols to fill our little kingdoms where we are the kings and we have the say. Where we reject the truth that we are not our own and settle into the wicked ideas of self-autonomy. Well, how can you say that about me? Or how do you know that, you might ask? Well, thankfully, scripture in Romans 3, 10 through 11 tells us, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks God. But wait a minute. If nobody's righteous, no, not one, and no one seeks God, how are we supposed to have clean hands and a pure heart and seek the face of God? The answer is we can't at least not by our own doing. In ancient times, God offered a sacrificial system that would make a person clean. How? An innocent animal had to die in their place. The blood of an animal was given in the place of the sinner so the sinner could be atoned for. And once that sacrifice was offered, you could draw near, but only to a certain point. Then you needed the next layer of credentials to enter into the next section of the temple. So men could go further than women, Levites further than the rest, high priest into only the high priest into the Holy of Holies only one time a year, one time a year. So very limited amounts of people could actually be in God's presence and sometimes only once a year. As we know, and as we've talked about, we cannot become righteous by our own doing. But in God's love, we are promised the way. Psalm 24 points forward to the one who has from the beginning of time itself <clears throat> obeyed the will of the Father perfectly. <clears throat> he is the one who will come, the one who will ascend the hill, the one with the cleanest hands, and the purest of hearts, one who is mighty in battle and stands in victory. And by his submission to the king, he would be bestowed the name that is above every other name and grant us access into his presence because he would bring his presence first to us. So who is this king of glory? Jesus. Jesus is this king of glory. 
The one without sin was made sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He stands victorious and mighty in battle. He is the Lord that is strong, the Lord that is mighty, so strong and mighty that he conquered sin, death, and the grave through his life and death, through his life, death, and resurrection. So he doesn't banish us to death, but rather banish death from us. Jesus is the only one who could ever ascend the hill, who could stand in the presence of God sinless. For those of us who are found in Christ, he has given us free access to God. No more regular sacrifices of animals and religious customs to gain a day pass to the temple. He was the perfect lamb of God who took away the sins of the world. We are given free access through his once and for all sacrifice on the cross. The curtain was torn. The presence of God is among us for he is Jesus, Emmanuel, which means God with us. The same God that we talked about earlier that created the heavens and the earth, left his heavenly kingdom, took on flesh and lived a perfect life that through his own life, he might redeem his earthly kingdom. That includes you and me. <clears throat> he stood in our place to make us right with the Father. He is the one with clean hands. When we couldn't possibly wash ours enough to get all the dirt and grime off. <clears throat> the cleanest hands to ever be on this earth were the same hands Jesus willfully allowed to be pierced by nails and hung on a cross. He is the one with the pure heart who loves perfectly while our hearts are corrupted and bent in on ourselves. And to think that the purest heart that the world has ever known was robbed of its beat for three days as it took on the full wrath of God in your place to the point of death. Jesus not only ascended the hill of the Lord through his resurrection, he had to, on our behalf, ascend the hill of Golgotha, the place where he was crucified so we could ascend the hill of the Lord with clean hands and a pure heart through him. Jesus descended to death so you could ascend to life. If you remember earlier, I talked about earthly kings being given power through bloodlines and by way of overthrowing a kingdom. Jesus has given us keys to the kingdom through his blood. We have received an inheritance to the kingdom through his blood. Romans 8 tells us that if we are children of God, we are heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Overthrowing kingdoms, he's overthrown kingdoms, all right. King Jesus has overthrown the kingdom of darkness. Colossians 1, 12 through 14 tells us, the Father has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints of light. He has delivered us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. So through Psalm 24 and this scripture that we just read, we see that Jesus is a warrior king who fights for you. And spoiler alert, he never loses. 
We are promised this through scripture and we can put our full faith in the Jesus that redeems us, sanctifies us, and brings us into his everlasting kingdom. He is the king of glory and it is in him and through him that we are able to approach God. We sang about it earlier where we will be dressed in his righteousness alone and found faultless to stand before the throne. So what do we do with this good news this morning of Jesus being our creator king, our redemptive king, and our warrior king who fights for us? Are we to be silent about the kingdom of redemption and glory? Verse 7 of Psalm 24 says, lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. So no, we're not to be silent. We are to open the gates, lift our heads, and proclaim the good news that the king of glory might come in. We should desire, as Jesus desires, that the gospel permeate every square inch of the Quad Cities and our world. And what a gift it is that we get to take part in this gospel renewal in our church, our homes, our cities. The only other option to the king of glory is darkness. But thankfully, Jesus has pushed back the darkness of sin and through his church, pushes back the darkness in our city. We are promised a king who will come and ransom many through the prophets. Fast forward in the story of God and we are promised a king who will return again, bringing with him the new heavens and the new earth, banishing the darkness and every sad thing will be untrue. The beautiful part is we get to take part in it now. We get to take part in God's story of renewing the kingdom. To the Christians in the room, where you go, Jesus goes with you. Every work day, every missional opportunity, every missional community gathering, every Sunday gathering, when we use those with gospel intentionality to proclaim the good news of Christ, it becomes a part of Jesus's story of bringing renewal to the whole earth. Because the end is written, and it is King Jesus taking back what's already his. There's a quote that I love by Abraham Kuyper, and we use it a lot here. There is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry mine. It's true. Jesus claims everything because he is the king and he has the right to do so. He is sovereign and he is Lord over everything, every single square inch of it. Today you have a choice. We are left with the choice to worship the one true king and be given life or worship yourself and live life full of darkness. If you haven't put your faith in Christ today, I plead with you to do so. If you haven't made Jesus Lord, today is the day. He is a good king, worthy of serving, and is the only king that we have ever seen and the only one to leave behind his kingdom in heaven to bring you back into it with him. Jesus is the creator king, the redemptive king, and the warrior king who fights for you. My prayer and my hope is that he would take his rightful place in your life today and all of your days. I pray that the spirit would give you faith and us faith in King Jesus today and that the King of glory would come into your life and the lives of those around you.
So as we approach the Lord's Supper today, this is a reminder for us of Christ's body that was broken and Christ's blood that was shed for us. This is also a kingdom meal. It points back to Christ's sacrifice to bring us into the kingdom and points us forward to the day when we will drink it again with him in the Father's kingdom. If you are not a baptized, repentant believer this morning, I ask that you please refrain from taking the elements and instead take Christ. Let us pray. God, we thank you for this morning. God, we thank you for your son, Christ, who is the king. God, I pray that for all of us in this room, that we will put him where he needs to be. And it is Lord over everything, Lord over our lives. God, we offer up ourselves this morning to your lordship. We submit to your will, your rule, your reign over everything. God, show us Christ through the sacrament this morning. I pray that as we take it, we are blessed by it, that the Spirit fills us up. And God, that we trust and believe that you will give us everything that we need. It is in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. The men who are serving with me will come forward.